Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Really just always such a joy to press into the Lord's presence. Just the hunger that He's stirring in us. I'm excited for what the Lord has been saying to us, what He's doing in our midst, the, the pockets of, of grace that are just seeming to grow more and more. Wasn't last week's thunderstorm. I think most of us probably had a, a thunderstorm somewhere in the garden, somewhere. And for those of us who have gardens, it's like amazing. <laughs> the transformation just on the sidewalks. If you don't have a garden, just walk past the next sidewalk. How the dark and brown has become green and luscious. We're privileged that we've got a borehole and there'd be some issues with the borehole for a, a while. We finally managed to get it fixed and just have the borehole running now from time to time. And it's just amazing, the transformation. But at, at first, it's just these little, it's like there's, there's green, but there's not quite green. It's like I choose to see green in the brown there after the first cup. There's like this, this very slight green hue. As spring comes, even yesterday I was driving somewhere and I looked down a road and it, there was an incline, it was in the city and an incline on the, on the other side. And I don't know if it was my imagination, but there was just a hue of purple coming through. As those jacarandas are being, and I'm, I'm wanting to see it, maybe I'm seeing it a bit more than it's there, but there's just enough to be able to glimpse it. And I think in the spirit as I continue to look over and pray over our congregation. There's that same that I'm picking up, just a hue of springtime that's beginning to shine through. Scripture speaks about spring as the time when kings go out to war. And I see there's just a hue of, of God's grace upon us, of growth, of life, of freshness that's coming through after a, a time of, of winter and dormancy. And maybe just like those jacarandas, Kind of, I, I see it and, and want to see it a bit more than it's there, but I know what's coming because I've seen it before. And there's so much of the same in the spirit. There's just that, those signs, little pockets of life, just those one or two green blades of grass that are springing through and the life that will flow from that. We've been speaking quite a bit this last few weeks and months, firstly about God's love towards us and for us, stepping into that. And then these last few months, just a lot about stepping into God's purpose for our lives. One of the things that we've been saying is that it's not so much our purpose as much as it's His purpose. We spoke about this idea of the missio day, the mission of God. We'll touch on that in a little bit later, but we can never step into our purpose fully until we first embrace His purpose and we understand that I don't have a purpose outside of His purpose. It's not about what is God's plan for Philip, it's what is God's plan. And once I understand what God's plan is, I begin to have an appreciation for his, God's plan. Then I can begin to say, okay, how does Philip fit into that plan? It's so easy in our, our Western modern way of thinking to think that God has a plan for Philip. God has a plan for this church. I love, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Henny or, or James who shared with us just this phrase that just stuck with me. That God doesn't have a plan for His church. God has a church for His plan. 
See, God had a plan long before He had a church. He brought the church into being for the sake of the plan, the mission, the purpose of God. And so in, in Luke, I was today to think about the, being the proclaimers, not the band. We're not going to walk 500 miles, although we maybe want to walk 500 miles as well. But Jesus, who came, and in Luke chapter 4, there's this, this beautiful progression that happens. And right at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, um, at the end of Luke chapter 3, Jesus gets baptized. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. A dove doesn't come and sit on his shoulder like kind of we see in the children's books. But the Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form like a dove. The dove is sort of the best picture that Luke could have used to explain this. And so the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon Jesus at the end of Luke chapter 3. He gets baptized. And then as he's baptized, the Holy Spirit, the Father speaks over him. And there's a beautiful picture of the Trinity right there. Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit and the Father speaking, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. From there, Jesus goes Scripture says, I think four times in the few verses that follow after Jesus' baptism, he gets baptized, filled with the Spirit, and then there's a short genealogy. And then the beginning of Luke chapter 4, I think it's about four times, and where is this? This is verse 16. So four times in about 16 verses, we read phrases like Jesus led by the Spirit and the power of the Spirit sent by the Spirit, just affirming to us that something has changed in the dynamic of Jesus' ministry. He is now a spirit-filled minister. Suddenly, he has stepped into the position of the Christ. Maybe just a little bit of theology here before we carry on. Christ is not Jesus' surname. Jesus was his name. And so if Jesus was at school with all of his buddies, Jesus was quite a common name. And um, there would probably be two or three other Jesuses in the class with him. If they had school, the play group, whatever, the community, they're sort of at the bride, they're watching the rugby. And Jesus don't do that would not probably be the best way to speak to a child because there were probably a couple of Jesus around. It's a little bit like around here. If you don't know what someone's name is, it's probably Yaku, you know. And so... Sometimes kind of we, we have this idea that Christ was his surname. That was kind of how you differentiate Jesus Christ from Jesus Barabbas, who's another Jesus mentioned in Scripture, and the other Jesus that would have been around. Except Christ is very much not a name. If you had called Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, when he was a kid, you would have been stoned. You would have been instantly canceled. Twitter would have been crazy. You know, the Pharisees would have been all over you saying, this guy, he needs to be canceled, he's finished, we can't have anything, to, that's blasphemy. Because Christ is a title, it's a description. It means the anointed one, the one who has been empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament, the Hebrew um, equivalent, well not quite, yes, so the Old Testament was mostly written in Hebrew, but we say it in English. So it was Hebrew words translated into English, and in the Old Testament, we'd have this concept of the Messiah, the promised one who is to come. The New Testament, the Greek equivalent of the Messiah is the Christ. So Christ and Messiah are identical concepts theologically. The one is just a Hebrew word, and the one is a Greek word that's been translated into English. And so we've got Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, the set-apart one, 
the one on whom the Holy Spirit rests. And so in Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he, in his earthly ministry, steps into the Christ. In that moment, he begins to fulfill that purpose. And he's led by the Spirit. And he, he goes into the desert and he's got this powerful moment of testing in the desert. He comes out of the desert and he goes to what we would call church today. He goes to synagogue like a good Jewish man, 30 years of age. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And as he reads this, we'll read it now. Afterwards, he upsets everybody because he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I don't want to kill him. Because that's blasphemy. You can't say that you are the Christ. Except that's exactly what happened. And one of the reasons I love this passage, it's a little bit of sort of a mission statement for Jesus. And so if we're speaking about the mission of Jesus, the mission of God, the mission day, God's purpose, and we're wanting to step into that purpose, this is a great place to spend some time around. What is the purpose of Jesus here on earth? So as he stands up, he says, this is what I'm going to be doing for the next, he doesn't put a timeline on it, but in hindsight, for the next three years of my life. And then I'm going to ascend into heaven and I'm going to defeat the powers of darkness and death. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he can say this now because he has been filled with the Spirit of the living God. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We see a word in this translation, I'll be reading from the, the ESV today, proclaim three times after one another. Different translations are going to be used, declare, they're going to be using words like preach, and they're all synonyms and different translations at different times translate these words slightly differently. The three main words in the Greek that are translated as proclaim, um, they don't have to sort of get into all of the Greek now, but exagalo, kairosa, and euagelizio, which is, my Greek is definitely not the best ever. And they all mean slightly different things. They have slightly different meanings, but they are very well understood words. They're well understood words because they're used frequently. In the Old Testament, in, in the ESV specifically, the word proclaim, so words that are translated proclaim, appears 70, I think, one times in the Old Testament, 72 times in the New Testament. So it's words that are used a lot. And one of the ways in which we understand what a word means, the more the word is used, the more we understand what that word means. The more likely we are to have an accurate understanding of the word. Not like some words in the Greek, they're used once. And the only place we ever find them is once in the Scripture. Then it's very hard to know exactly what that word means. But other words, like these words which are translated proclaim, are used many times in Scripture and outside of Scripture. They date way back to Iliad's Homer. These words are used there a lot of the time. So we know what these words mean. It's not like some words are, were sitting in a meeting recently, one of these Zoom meetings with some of our other leadership team, and we had a, um, 
a British guy who was just coming to share some, some insights with us, and we're having a good conversation. And he used this word which I hadn't heard in a long time, and we have some proper Bursinkis with us on the, on the team. And I just saw big eyes like this. And so I, fortunately, it's a Zoom meeting, so I could just quickly look up a dictionary definition of the word. Parochial, I think, was the word. And so I posted it and kind of then on a little WhatsApp group and the messages came back, thank you, had no idea what that word meant. Coming back, I thought he was saying something, I thought he was mispronouncing a different word, the one guy even said. Um, but there are words like that, we just don't know what they mean. And then there are other words which are super crystal clear. And these words to any Greek scholar are crystal, crystal clear. They have slightly different nuances. They all have kind of little different ways in which they're used, but they all involve some form of public declaration. The word proclaim, you know, the king makes a proclamation. We, we get that. We know what it means. Proclaim maybe isn't the word we use the most in English, but in the Oxford Dictionary you'd find Definitions along the lines of kind of announce officially or publicly, say something emphatically, declare, to indicate clearly. And so when we look at proclamation, we see proclamation was a key part of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus says, this is what I am going to be doing on this earth for the next three years, modeling what ministry until my return is going to look like, he uses Words relating to proclaim three times. Proclaim the good news in this translation. Proclaim liberty to the captives and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Some of you may have heard there's a, a saying that says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's never sat well with me and a couple of reasons since that I've kind of, as I've looked into it a little bit, why one of them, it's normally attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. There is no record that St. Francis of Assisi ever said that. So it kind of, if someone, someone obviously said it, most likely it wasn't him. But then I heard somebody, uh, the guy, uh, is it me or something else? And I heard someone kind of say, saying preach the gospel and if necessary use words is akin to saying feed the hungry and if necessary use food. And so it's this idea that we sometimes hide behind, that I'm going to preach the gospel, but without this. The only problem is that the word preach or proclaim, and it's translated differently, they're the same root words, they all require inherently a spoken word. And so one of the things that God has ministry that has laid upon Jesus was Jesus was a proclaimer. He came proclaiming, that's what evangelism is, he came proclaiming the good news. Psalm 91, I don't think it's up on the slide, says, The heavens declare the glory of God in the ESV. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. I once heard someone say, and I love this, I don't know if you've ever thought about kind of my daughter is, is very into this now, so I've got a, a video that I'm going to show her soon. But if you're very into sort of stars and stuff, and moon and solar system, so some of you may not know this, you might have missed this. There was like this once in a not very often 
scenario recently with a planet. Which planet was it? Like right next to the moon. Was it Saturn? Yes, it was Saturn because you could see. We've got a little telescope. We bought her a telescope for her birthday last year. She set it up and we could see the rings on Saturn. It was really beautiful. But she's been waiting for this since the start of the year. And then her grandmother, my mom, sent a message on our little family group saying, oh, this nice thing is happening up in the stars. Lisa, you must look. And Lisa was like, I know. I've been waiting for this for the whole year, for this moment. But then you kind of start getting into this, this crazy size and magnitude. And some of you may have watched, we watched one of the sessions at Bible school as well. Kind of Louis Gigliard has a great kind of just thing about how big the universe is and how glorious the universe is and kind of going into the speed of light. So in the, you know when we drive to Cape Town or you fly to Cape Town, we, we measure in kilometers per hour. You know, that's the... The thing we use, if you run very fast, we're measuring it in kilometers per hour. You can't use kilometers per hour in space because the distance is just too big. So we use a different thing called speed of light traveled in a year, light years. And that's like, I can't even remember the number, but millions of kilometers that we use. So we don't measure things. So things that are really, really, really close is like thousands of light years away. That's very close in space. So if you travel at the speed of light for thousands of years, you get there. So the sun would be eight light minutes away. Light takes eight minutes to travel from the sun to here. And obviously we know kind of in a celestial sense, the sun is super close. And so we, you measure these things in light years and billions of light years. And so we carry on and on and how big and glorious. And the bigger telescope we build, the bigger we can figure out how this thing is. And, and I love what someone said once. So stuck with me. It has to be huge and magnificent and glorious and beyond human comprehension and measurement because its very purpose of existence is to proclaim God's handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. How great would God's glory be if it was just like a small little mini heaven universe that we lived in? If we could measure it, then we could measure the glory of God. If we could measure it, we could measure who God is and God's majesty. But the heavens declare, the heavens exist. You can paraphrase that to declare the glory of God. That's why it is so big and so huge and so magnificent. The heavens proclaim, Scripture says, God's handiwork. And then we get to passages like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, coming back to purpose. But you are a chosen race. Here he's speaking about the people of God, speaking about the followers of Jesus. And he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We sing beautiful songs about this, and we should. It's just so encouraging to remind ourselves how God sees us. He sees you as part of this, a people for his own possession. So we are all of these things, and why are we a chosen race, chosen generation, royal priesthood. It's so that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Not only was Jesus anointed, chosen to proclaim, but you have been chosen to proclaim. You are a chosen race. You, as we sit here, are part of a, a special God, special people. And the reason why God has made us His special people is so that we can join in the song of the heavens. We can join in proclaiming 
the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And so for this morning, we're going to get really practical, a little bit interactive, so we're going to mess this room up a little bit. I want to ask if we can maybe move our chairs around a little bit and find ourselves in groups of four, maybe five people maximum. So you need to quickly do that, turn around, find someone sitting by themselves, and obviously I think most of us, it will have to be this way. Try and include some people you wouldn't normally talk to in a group. So we're going to get really practical this morning, and if this is uncomfortable for you, I sort of apologize, but just be with us. Bear with us for a moment. It, it's going to be worth it. Okay, let's do that. Find our little groups, four or five. If you're in the mother's room, you can do the same as well. Just if, I'm not sure how many, are you, how many of you are there, but find a few people that you can talk with and share with. Okay. Let's not make the groups too big. Five absolute maximum, otherwise it's just going to take too long. Okay. So four, maybe five, just to be able to, to contain the conversation space. Otherwise, we're going to care until kickoff at nine tonight. Okay. Awesome. Have we got our groups? Fantastic. So if you need to, what we're going to do now is we're going to very quickly, just if you need to introduce yourself, then you can do that. Hi, my name is Philip. I do this and this. Have any ever found, just by the way, that's the most weird thing. The first thing we do when we introduce ourselves is we tell people what our function is. It's a bit of a twisted habit. But anyway, introduce yourself if you need to. I want us to, in your groups, take two questions that you're going to just process in your mind and then answer out loud with kind of not the full unabbreviated Lord of the Rings version. The, who were those people that made the books a couple of years ago with the, the shortened version? You can read the whole book. With the, the Reader's Digest people, what is it? The Reader's Digest, what did they call their abbreviated books? See, you all non-readers here. They took... Sorry? Condensed, that's the word I'm looking for. So the condensed one here, okay. Not the seven and a half hour version, which is a great one. We'd love to hear that as well, but just for where we are this morning, just like the two and a half minute one, if that's possible, okay. Two things that I want you just to, to share. What is it that initially made you come to Christ, to Jesus? What was your life like at that stage? And what initially, when you decided to follow Jesus, what initially drew you to Him? And then secondly, what caused you to continue following Jesus? In other words, it wasn't just a, hey, this is a good thing for two weeks and then I fell by the But at some stage, there's a decision, I, I'm going to continue pursuing relationship with Jesus. So those two things, take a minute or two just to, Get your thoughts together around that. What initially made you come to Christ and what caused you to continue to follow Christ? And we can take a few moments and share that with each other. Okay, I'll let you pace yourself, but if you can sort of take until quarter two, so 12 minutes for the whole group. Is that workable? Okay, let's see how far you get on that. Okay.
Is it encouraging hearing these stories? Isn't it amazing how as humans we are story people? We love story, and the sports people have sort of cottoned on to this fact recently that, you know, you can try and get everyone to watch Formula One, watch Formula One, and then you can do a story about Formula One, Drive to Survive, and suddenly everybody wants to watch Formula One. And it works, and so now you get kind of, there was the Drive to Survive, the Formula One, I think there's a, a golf one now, there's a cycling one, so my wife is now a Tour de France fan because she watched the cycling story. And there's a tennis breakpoint, there's stories, all of these stories. It's amazing how we're story people. Whether it's movies or books, we're story people. And it's important for us to remember God is a story God. I told the story, but it's, excuse the pun, but it's important just to, to remind ourselves. I remember a couple of years ago, many years ago, I was lecturing at Varsity and had a friend, colleague who was a Muslim and gave her a Bible to read. And she came back to me a while back and she read it. And I know that she actually read it because she said that she said she was struck by the fact that it is mostly just stories. It was so different to the book that she'd expected. Yes, there's some poems in there and there's some songs and there are a couple of other things. But scripture is primarily stories of people. We are story people. We love stories. Even the stories of our own lives we were just telling. We're drawn to that. I had to stop you. You could sit here for hours more if we gave you a chance. Telling stories, listening to stories. People love stories. In sharing those stories now, without perhaps even realizing that you were doing it, you were proclaiming Christ. You were proclaiming something of the goodness of of Christ, something of what you've experienced of Christ in your life that we typically would call it in sort of a Christian circle, we'd call it a testimony, a, a story of something that God has done, a testimony of how we came to know Him. Obviously, there are many other testimonies that we have of how God has revealed and demonstrated His goodness towards us. But you have been called, chosen, God's special people, we have been. And one of the reasons is to proclaim His excellencies, to do this which we've done here, out there. In the shower this morning, I was thinking of some examples and being a little bit naughty. And you can see where I'm probably going with this. How many of us in the last week or two have had a conversation about rugby, about the Springboks, yeah, Yaku's putting up his hand. About a red card or a yellow card. Told someone how good a different player is, how bad a player is. We've had a conversation because this World Cup is going on. It's part of our discourse. And I wonder how many of us have had conversations about our children. And we've had conversations with, about our, our wives, our spouses. And then, you know, this is going, I wonder how many of us outside of church environment in that same time frame, have had conversations about Jesus. And it's amazing how suddenly kind of we, you know, we, we grew up with this, most of us, you don't talk about religion. And my relation, the, one of the biggest lies that the enemy has ever put in so many Christian minds is that my relationship with Jesus is private. And so don't ask me about it. I'm not going to talk about it. 
And yet scripture says we must walk in the light. For some of us and for most of us, we interpret that, maybe not us here, but sort of as the broader Christian population, we interpret that it is so private that you don't even know whether it exists. It's a little bit like me saying my relationship with my wife is private. Yes, it is private. There's some stuff in there that's between me and her. But the fact that we're married is not private. If I'm going to away for this week, if I go away for the week and I come back and no one I know, no one I meet during this next week knows that I'm married, something is wrong. If every meal I have and the people sitting around there and maybe some other ladies and we're having a conversation and they leave unsure about the fact that I'm married, then something is wrong in my relationship with my wife. Why is it different with God? Yes, there are parts of my relationship with God which are personal and intimate. Those private conversations we have, but the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus is not private. That's public. And everyone should know that we should be having conversations. We're proclaimers by nature. We are anointed by God to be proclaimers. A couple of things that we normally share in our share seminar, but I just want to put in here as well just to help us around this. I want to encourage you about your testimony, about your story. Be deliberate about being a proclaimer. One way to do that without forcing it, but kind of just creating a culture is, what if you say, God, I want to speak about you at least once per week to someone who doesn't know you. Just once per week. And it's one of those things, if you don't put a, it out there, if you don't say, I want to do this at least once per week as an example, then weeks go past where we miss it. If we put that little target out there for us, if we put that, that faith goal, God, I want to have a conversation once per week about your goodness with someone who doesn't know you. That means when I go sit at the canteen at work and it's Friday and I haven't spoken to anybody yet, I'm going to be a little bit more deliberate about my conversation. I had a, have a, a pastor friend who we see kind of once or twice a, a year at um, some of the gatherings we're at. And he went through a phase where he just sensed that the Lord told him that he needs to lead every day five people to the Lord. Every day. And he was in the middle of that phase and we were having dinner with him one night. And he was telling us about sort of just without being, putting it out there, just sort of telling the story how last night 11 o'clock came and he wanted to go to bed and he realized it had only been four. So he went out into the street and he was looking for someone and he found someone. He tells a story of kind of how God just ministered to that person. But if, sometimes we need to have that deliberateness. The same with kind of, you guys know the story with my ankle and if I don't have a, a deliberate goal I'm working towards, I want to get running again at some stage, I'm not going to wake up in the morning and do the exercises diligently. But I cycle diligently and I do the exercises diligently because there's a goal that I'm working towards. And so that helps. Just something I'm going to put out there is have a goal. Say, even if it's just got one conversation a week, not going to flog me, I'm not going to get beaten in going to depression if I didn't have a conversation this week, but I want to try it, God, at least once per week. 
maybe once per day, depending on where your faith is at, but maybe just starting is always a good process. So just four things very quickly about a testimony that I want to share with us this morning. As we share our story, one thing that we want to build into our story is what it is not. Our story is not how great or how bad I am. See, the story, the main character in the story shouldn't be me. The story isn't about, oh, I'm so good. Wow, I went through all of this stuff, but then I got my life sorted out, and now I'm going to church every Sunday, and now I'm reading my Bible, and now I am this model Christian. That's missing the point of the story. That story is, I'm great. What the story also isn't is, oh, I'm so bad, I am so useless, I cannot put anything together. I was a drug addict, I was a loser, I'm, I'm once again, I'm, I'm the focus of the story. What the focus of the story is, is I was in a bad way, I was messing up, I am pretty much a loser, but then Jesus. And Jesus changed this in my heart, and Jesus put this back together, and Jesus healed this, and Jesus turned this, and Jesus restored this. And Jesus showed me this. And Jesus is healing this. It's so important that we just understand it. Once again, I've heard some people share testimonies kind of in our Western world. And when they walk off the stage, when they put the microphone down, when they're done telling the story, what I'm left with is who they are and not who Jesus is. So we want to build that into as we proclaim as, I'm not a proclaimer of Philip, I'm a proclaimer of Jesus. It's not I'm so great. It's also not how bad I am. Another thing about a, a story is your story is not insignificant. It's so easy to think that my story only has value. My story only has power. My story is only significant if it's like a really, really big story. Like Vanessa Horson's story. I just happened to see a photo of her on Instagram again. She's ministering some way. I was locked away in a Thai jail for 16 years, and God saved me then. I came. I've got to have a story like that for it to be a powerful. No. Do you know what makes your story powerful? It's your story. It's you. This is what God has done in my life. I love the big stories, the bold stories, the loud stories, the stories of great transformation. We need more of them. We need them to be proclaimed. But something else that I've learned as we minister and work with people, the vast majority of us can't relate to that because that's not who we are. But the vast majority of us can relate to a seemingly normal person having an encounter with Jesus and having their lives transformed because that's my life. It's great hearing the testimony of the drug addict who was at the point of death and Jesus healed and saved and they got filled with the Spirit and now they're this evangelist. I love that story. But I can't relate to that story because I've never been on my knees, suicidal, busy overdosing. It's not my story. But I can relate to somebody who was just going through life confused, not knowing kind of what their purpose and their reason was, just falling by the wayside, going through the motions to church from time to time, doing okay at school. But then Jesus entered and changed it. I can relate to that. And I think one of the big lies is my story is insignificant because it's not spectacular. No, your story is significant because it is you 
And then just something very important we need to watch out for. Strong believer in this, that when we're telling our story, our story should never end or be about what somebody else should do. Because then we're preaching. There's a time and a place to preach. We love stories. But the moment a story becomes, you must do this now, it's not a story anymore. It's one thing if the story elicits a question. Somebody says, hey, I want that too. But the story isn't, shouldn't be, you must now change or you must repent. There's a time and a place for that, definitely. But when we're telling our story, we should be telling our story. The story is, this is me. This is what God did in me. That's the story. The story isn't, you must. The moment we add the, you must, the whole dynamic of the conversation and the story changes. Your story, your testimony is just like in a court of law. Yes, there are expert witnesses who get called to give an opinion. But normally in a court of law, we're just calling people to give their experience of what they saw or heard. That's what a witness does. And so we're called just to give our experience. It doesn't have to be our whole experience. I mean, we were just talking in two or three minutes. Sometimes to tell our whole story would take, I mean, how do you tell your life story in three or four days? It, to take ages to give all of the detail. It doesn't always have to be the whole story. Sometimes it can just be a nugget of the story. Just see someone struggling in the queue and pick and pay. 30 seconds, tell them a story. You know, I struggled with that and saw how God came and changed my daughter's heart around. I can do the same for you. 30 seconds. doesn't have to be the whole story. Sometimes a testimony of something seemingly so small but significant to you as a person can open the hardest heart for Jesus. God has called us to be proclaimers. Not only has he chosen us to be proclaimers, watch what Mark 16 says to us. It says, he said to them, Jesus speaking to his disciples, normally we read this from Matthew, today we're reading from Mark, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Proclaim the good news that Jesus has come. Proclaim what he has done in your life. Yes, there's a time when we need to proclaim scripture. We need to proclaim truth. We need to be pro have proclamation built into our gospel, built into our evangelism. We need to be doing that 100%. We also just need to be proclaiming his goodness sometimes, telling our story. See, proclamation is a weapon. In Revelation chapter 12, some of us know the story or the account the sort of in this picture that John is seeing in his vision. There's this big heavenly battle going on. There's Michael the archangel and a whole bunch of angels fighting with him. He's sort of the general of the army. And then there's the dragon speaking of the devil. And he's got his angels. And they're going to war. And there's this big fight going on. And then Michael wins. And the angel is cast down. Oh, not the angel. The dragon is cast down to earth. And we read in verse 11, speaking about the saints, the people. They conquered him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They love not their lives even unto death, but their proclamation. You see our proclamation changes hearts and lives, but it changes and shifts something in the spirit. 
We need to be deliberate proclaimers. God wants us to be proclaimers of the gospel. See, proclamation is a weapon. And then I'm going to ask the ushers if they can pass the, the elements of the communion out for us. Because not only do we proclaim by our mouths, proclaim by speaking, proclaim by saying, and I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you in this week, be a proclaimer. Say, God, I want to find someone who I can proclaim the gospel to. Tell something of your story, something of what you've done in my life. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes and he, he says to the church, he encourages them, he says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's a proclamation that happens in the Spirit. We saw in, in Revelation 12 that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. There's something about the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony that carries power in the Spirit. And so we're going to partake of communion in just a moment together. Sometimes we partake, and you know the body of Jesus is amazing. Just celebrating the broken body, and we do that. Sometimes we, we do it as we, we eat together, as we drink together, and we just aware of God's power to heal, to make whole, to restore. That he died on the cross so that you and I don't have to. He shed his blood to wash away our sins. Different times as we take communion, perhaps our, our awareness and our focus is on different ways and different things. For this morning, I'm wanting us to, as we eat and drink together, to have an awareness that this is a proclamation act of proclamation, that I'm not only doing this because of the healing that comes in it. I'm not only doing this because of the restoration. I'm not only doing this because this is a way to draw near to Jesus. It's an acceptance of what is done. I'm not only doing this because of what it represents in community. I'm also doing this because I'm a proclaimer. And every time I do this, I proclaim the death of Jesus. I proclaim that he has overcome, that he has paid the price. I proclaim everything about the gospel when I proclaim. So this morning, I want to encourage us, I want to invite us that as we do that, firstly, to do it as an act of proclamation, but then secondly, to do it as a commitment to be a proclaimer. Joke. As a commitment to be a proclaimer. To say, God, I'm, I'm proclaiming right now in this act. As often as I do this, Scripture says, I proclaim the Lord's death. But not only am I proclaiming it here and now in this room and in the Spirit. Jesus, I'm taking up again the mantle of being a proclaimer. Go into all the world and proclaim. I've been part of of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
called out of darkness into His marvelous white light. Why? So that I can proclaim. I'm a proclaimer. I'm a teller of the story of Jesus. Has everyone received the elements? Have we missed anyone? If you can just put up your hand, if we missed, passed you over in some way. Has everyone received? Can we stand together as we pray? Jesus, thank you this morning for your word, which is living and it's powerful. Your word, which inspires and encourages us, Lord. Your word, Jesus, which reveals who you are. Thank you that as we could sit in our little circles a little bit earlier, we could hear stories of your goodness, Lord. Stories of your grace. Testimonies of who you are, and turning hearts and lives around, that it stirs faith in our hearts, Lord. And we pray that our faith may continue to increase, Jesus. Because you are enough, Lord. Even as we sang at the start, Jesus, you are worthy of it all. You really are worthy of it all. And so right now, God, we thank you that we can be proclaimers that even in the Spirit we can proclaim the Lord's death, Jesus Christ. The death and the resurrection, the victory, the overcoming that it represents. Thank you that we can proclaim it over our own lives, Lord. We can proclaim it in the Spirit over the city, Lord. That as we eat this bread and as we drink this cup, we proclaim your death, Jesus in expectation of your return. Let's eat together. And Jesus, thank you for your blood that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, Lord. Thank you that your blood is so much more powerful than we can ever begin to imagine, Lord. Effective in washing our sin away, in cleansing and purifying us but it's also effective in bringing an inspiring life, Lord. So thank you that we overcome, Lord, by the word of our testimony and by your blood. So even as we drink Jesus, we proclaim the power of your blood. Let's drink together. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. <laughs>